Rich and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. A happy Saturday to all of you out there listening today. This is Arizona Sports Saturday. It's your weekend stop for live and local sports talk. As always, as the big voice said, Mitch and Steve, that's us. Trevor I wouldn't Henry's say the as always. This is actually the first show Mitch and I have done together. I know. In like a month and a half. Hey, hey like. look, at least we got it in before the start of the new year and we didn't just, you know, take the whole month of December off. I love separately. it, man. We're back. We're better than ever. Are we back? I mean, I don't know. I'm throwing it out there. <laughs> I almost said, have you guys met yet? <laughs> just now, before the show. We were just we'll getting acquainted, just talking about, you know, usual stuff. Like, what's your name? That was probably the biggest thing that was discussed. It's good to have you back, man. What's your sign? back. Yeah, exactly. All the all the good horos- horoscopic? Horoscope? I don't know. Look, we're obviously just trying to delay the inevitable here because uh, last night was not very fun. Rebound Nance ahead to Williamson. Final seconds. He'll go up and 360 windmill jam at home. 1.9 seconds to go, and this place is rocking courtesy of Zion Williamson's unbelievable skill set. Uh, yeah, an unbelievable skill set would be a very nice way of putting what was a 360 Windmill dunk in the closing seconds of a 128-117 Suns loss. Boy, that didn't make anybody feel good. No, um, it literally did not. So here's the thing. I understand there's a bit of a skirmish afterwards. Um, there's emotions between these two teams. Because if you want to go back and put it in context, last year the Suns eliminated the Pelicans in the first round of the playoffs. Keep in mind, they did not have Zion Williamson at that time in that playoff series. No. So he made comments after the game about how, hey, you got to remember... This is the team that put my teammates out of the playoffs last year. He had some motive behind him. Right. So I understand the place he was coming from. There was also an incident where he was on a fast break. He scores over Jock Landale, and he did the whole, like, he's small That's or whatever. That's the thing is to yeah. say everybody's too small. Which is hilarious. Even because, though Jock is, like, seven feet and right. Zion is six eight. Whatever. He made a good play. And also, too, like, are you allowed to do the whole he's small thing when it's a breakaway? Like... If you back a guy down and you dunk over him, then, okay, there's, there's, I get it. You're strong, whatever. There's a lot of whatever. questioning going on after that one. What's what's most interesting to me watching this game, keep in mind, too, by the way, Brandon Ingram didn't play in this game. So this is still not a full neither, squad for the neither Pelicans. Neither did Herb Jones. Right. I'm waiting for that full squad. This is a very squad. dangerous team they played. I'm not saying that the Suns should have trounced the Pelicans in this game. That no. is certainly not the point I want to make. No, 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 no. no. But... Watching Zion Williamson work last night, I mean, he's incredible. He's got a skill set that's unlike most players I've ever seen in the, uh, in this game. He's most comparable to early Blake Griffin for me. Like, he just gets to the that's bucket. That's a good one. That's a good one. You're reminded of why he's the number one overall pick, right? Oh, yeah. You're reminded of why New Orleans was able to move on from Anthony Davis for this guy, right? You're reminded as to why New Orleans was very patient in letting him do what he needed to do and not letting this thing get out of hand because it is very clear that this is a piece you want to build around. And New Orleans did a very nice job of making sure that he would want to stay around last year, particularly going after C.J. McCollum, trading for him midseason, and then continuing to build around it in this offseason where, remind you, they still have a ton of Los Angeles Lakers first-round picks. That's the true way, too. The Lakers have not been good no, after those that. Good picks. After that NBA Finals run that they made, 
all those years ago. Also, too, like most teams in the NBA, the Suns certainly included after last night's performance, don't have an answer to a player like Zion. There's not really well, a lot of big dudes on this team that we're going to stand up to. I one. Who's that? DeAndre Ayton. Like, like I get yeah. it. Zion is playing a four spot when their center Jonas Valanciunas is on the floor. But I have to imagine that DeAndre Ayton is getting switched over to him. Or I would have to imagine in my mind, at least, that DeAndre Ayton is someone you would want to switch on to Zion defensively. Does he want to be this dominating force that he claims he is? I feel like that would be a good test. I get it. Zion is built like is built like nobody we've ever seen in the league before. He's a tank. Right. And he barrels his, bullies his way to the basket. He can do all that stuff. But can't Aiton do all that stuff too? Um, Albeit at a different build? He doesn't have that reputation to do that kind of stuff. Uh, he, he says he play, wants it. He doesn't play the same kind of game. I think DeAndre Aiton would rather take a jumper from the elbow than bully his way to the rim. I, that's just... Oh, that's been evident. Though. From years of watching him, that's just kind of the narrative. Um, I think watching Zion last night was really eye-opening for me because you're starting to see the version of the Pelicans that you didn't get in the playoffs. And it makes me wonder, would the Suns have even beaten the Pelicans in that playoff series had Zion been healthy and playing the way that he played last night? I don't know that we could say it was a done deal. And if you remember, the Suns actually struggled against the bigs. They struggled against uh, Jonas Valanciunas and Jackson Hayes and some of the other guys. Herb Jones played really, really well, although I wouldn't call him a Jackson big. Hayes isn't even getting minutes for this team anymore. That's the thing, is this Pelicans team is deep in a way that the Suns right now just aren't. Because we've talked about Chris Paul missing a lot of time, and thankfully Chris Paul is back now. He's played in two games, although the first one was rough. 24 minutes, only four points. It's But last yeah. night he got going a little bit more, and well, he I needed certainly to. had some confidence. Yeah. But I think that there's a lot of questions around the Suns right now. How about the the question of Devin Booker? Is he injured now with what happened last night? And he was limping around, and clearly his shot was just way off last night. You still have the questions surrounding Jay Crowder. Are they going to move him and try to get somebody back who actually will play basketball for them? Uh, Cam Johnson is still out. There's a lot of questions about the depth of this team right now. Quote, we'll figure it out. I was looking for the... Um Post-game quote from Devin Booker. Quote, we'll figure it out. Devin Booker, when asked about if he's injured, that courtesy of Dwayne Rankin. We'll we'll figure it out. That, to me, means... That's not positive. That, to me, means, yeah, we just got to figure out how bad it is. Also pointed out this. Monty Williams said he made the best decision for the team on Booker when taking him out for pain in those closing minutes. Said Booker wasn't moving well. Didn't say what might be bothering him. I mean, he didn't even have to say that. We all saw it. It's, you know, it's it's very hamstring-esque issue right there. That's what it looks like anyway. So I hope that's what it's not. I hope it's something lesser because you know when it's hamstring it's like oh, it could mean anything. These soft tissue injuries are never good. So here's the real question after the way the game ended where it's already over Zion's kind of cherry picking or maybe it was just sluggish to get back uh, on off- on defense but he ends up getting an easy windmill dunk to emphatically close out the game at home, the crowd goes nuts. Obviously, he didn't need that windmill dunk, but it angered a lot of Suns and a lot of Suns fans, rightfully so. The Suns play the Pelicans again. Sunday. In New Orleans. Again. Tomorrow. I mean, these two kind teams... Kind of like these baseball-style series that they've got going on here. 
Well, especially when you have a competitive game like last night that ends the way that it did with some contention. Tomorrow's game just became extremely interesting. And this is still one and two in the West, if I'm not mistaken. Like, these are still two of the best teams in the Western Conference. The Pelicans, of course, being the surprise of them all. Early on, it was the Utah Jazz that were the surprise of the West. Right now, I think it's the Pelicans, even though I think a lot of experts would argue that what they saw at the end of last year was carrying over into this year. Burnsy even used the analogy that last year for them in the playoffs was their version of the Suns' bubble run. Yeah. And now we're seeing what they can be. It's a great analogy. The Pelicans are right now, like you mentioned, number one in the West. They're 17-8. and eight. They're a game and a half above the Suns. The Grizzlies are number two, by the way. The Pelicans have won six straight. The Grizzlies have won five straight. The Suns have lost three straight. And if you want to include that Rockets loss, one of the worst teams in the four NBA, five, right? you lost to them at home. They've lost four of the last five games. Now, that other that win is a trouncing of the Spurs, but let's not count too much on that. Four out of five off of a six-game winning streak, too. The Mavericks, I can at least understand losing to the Mavericks, but you lost by 19. The Celtics, I mean, they beat you by 27. done in five minutes. You lose by 11 to the Pelicans in the way that they lost, too. It's not looking good for the Suns in the last five games or so. But before that, they were coming off of a six-game winning streak. But is this what we're going to get? Are we going to get streaky Suns, or are we going to get consistent Suns? Because um, these Suns have not been consistent all year long. Well, and, and also, too, I mean, I already kind of mentioned some of the um, adversity that they've been facing. I mean, Chris Paul just came back. Well, look, this So they're is trying nothing, to figure out the rotation a little bit. Devin Booker might get less Suns, minutes though. now. I mean, were they not dealing with the same stuff last year when they won 64 games? Yeah, it feels like they were, and there were stretches without adjusting the same stretches without Booker, stretches without Paul. Yeah, no, it happens. That's why you have to have a deep team, and I believed that they did going into the season. Uh, It's just right now they're not. Well, they could have a lot deeper of a team if somebody decided that he wanted to actually work again. Not saying that Jay Crowder would make a massive difference, but you have to think that he would have been nice to have about now. I'm just saying. Like, you wonder why they can't handle this adversity the same. Is it just because everybody's catching up to them? And this team is now getting older, although that seems silly to say that this has really only been a two-year, three-year core. Are they getting older and more worn out? Are they putting too much effort in in certain areas? Are we worrying about the regular season 26 games in for no good reason? I don't know. The Jay Crowder thing, I, I've felt this way for a while. I think it's a double-edged sword. On the one hand, I put it on him that he wasn't willing to take on a lesser role to help a team win. And I think he would have, obviously, when Cam Johnson went down, Jay Crowder would have been the perfect person to have waiting would have been in the, the obvious fix. Uh, on the other hand, I put it on the front office that when Cam did go down, they were not able to smooth things over with Jay. I don't even know that they tried to. But just the fact that they weren't able to go to him and say, listen, our situation has changed. You're the perfect fit for this. We need you. Will you help us? And maybe they did make that ask, and he just flat out said no. That's possible. Um, but the matter of the fact is that it didn't get done. And here we are, and this team is uh, bleeding right now. Four of five that they've lost. Coming up next, Monday night features a battle. It's going to say more about the coaches, however, than it will about the players. That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. 
It is Arizona Sports Saturday. Stephen Mitch with you. And the Arizona Cardinals didn't play last week. But they also don't play this weekend. They play on Monday night. They get another Monday night game. A super long stretch of nothing. I know. Cardinals. It just feels that way. Uh, Monday night, the Cardinals will face off against the New England Patriots, who I believe are 6-6, six and six, so it's not like this is some premier matchup. But anytime you face the Patriots, it means you're facing arguably the greatest football coach that ever lived in Bill Belichick. Billy. And I just have this feeling deep in my gut that this game is going to be more about the coaches than the actual players. Obviously, yeah. there's a connection between Kingsbury and New England and, and Belichick. Mm-hmm. Kingsbury played there for a short time. Uh, he played under uh, Belichick. He was behind Tom Brady on the depth chart. There's that narrative. What did he learn from Belichick? I'm sure there's plenty of things that he learned in those formative years of his career. I, I just have this feeling that we're going to get to Monday night and everybody's going to see on national television Bill Belichick coaching circles around Cliff Kingsbury. And that and that's a lot of different things, right? That's clock management is part of it. Uh, it's personnel. It's what your offense looks like, although Belichick has a defensive coordinator running his offense. I mean, should we be surprised choice. either way if the Cardinals get coached circles by the probably the greatest coach in NFL history? No, it's not a bold take to say that Belichick is a better coach than Kingsbury. No. And that shouldn't be a bold take. I no. don't think anybody should have the opposing I don't view. think anybody's f- stomping the foot on their brake saying, whoa! No. What? But for some reason, the the headlines around this game, to me, it has nothing to do with the players. I mean, I look at the Patriots, and all I really think about is like, okay, uh, Mac Jones versus Bailey Zappi? I mean, that's not really a catchy headline for me. I don't think either of them is going to be the next Tom Brady. Uh, and then I look at the Cardinals right now, and uh, what's the headline? To me, the headline is the season's already already gone. I don't think they're making the playoffs. So for me, it's can this coach and GM salvage their season, salvage their their time with the Cardinals? You know, it's funny. I saw a Boston Globe story earlier this week. I think Gambo found it when we were doing show prep yesterday. And I was looking through it, and it was about how the Cardinals season has had so much dysfunction and drama, et cetera, et cetera. It would make a really good behind-the-scenes documentary. And I thought, huh, you mean like the behind the scenes documentary that's being filmed on them these final few weeks of the season that hasn't really let us in on any of that whatsoever? Yeah, I thought that was kind of ironic, but they're not wrong. Think about it. The offset, the the optics of the offseason, right? This team finished 11 and six, technically 11 and six. Well, not technically, literally finished 11 and six. They lost their one playoff game. And then the entire offseason was mired in controversy around who got a contract and who didn't. It wasn't just they lost in the playoffs, by the way. It was they got blown out by the Rams in L.A. They, they lost miserably. It was arguably Kyler Murray's worst game of his career. There was that terrible, terrible pick six where he was falling in the end zone. He's kind of flung And he kind of just underhanded it to the defender. Like, I mean, whoops. It was, it was the look of it was worse than it actually sounds when you look back on it. And like the expectations were low to begin with because you've got the reigning Super Bowl champ in the division. Yeah. You got a Niners team that took the Rams basically to the final minute of that NFC championship game. Nobody was expecting much of the Seahawks and look what they're doing right now. They could be tied for first place after this weekend. Like if it weren't for the Rams complete dysfunction and utter disarray this year, the Cardinals are the last place football team in this division. 
So it makes sense as to why we're seeing exactly what we're seeing. And in a division, too, where if you just look at the quarterbacks recently, San Francisco's on their third quarterback, Brock Purdy, who I like, by the way, is a local kid. Local kid. Went to uh, uh, Perry, was I'm, it? I'm excited to see him play, but at the same time, like we can all acknowledge, Brock Purdy is certainly not the quarterback we would have picked to run that team. Uh, and then you look at I, Seattle. We wouldn't have picked Jimmy Garoppolo either. Well, probably I would have. You know me. I've I've never been a fan of the Trey Lance project. Um, all they do is win when Jimmy hey, Garoppolo. We can only around. work with what they give us, right? I know. Uh, but then also in Seattle, Geno Smith. Nobody thought that Geno was going to be a top quarterback this year, or Drew Locke nipping at his heels. And then L.A. with the whole John Wolford thing, and now all of a sudden Baker Mayfield is leading game-winning drives for the Rams. On two days in the playbook. Too. So if you had told me at the beginning of the season, hey, fast forward to what week are we in now? 13, 14. 14. Fast forward to week 14, and here's who the quarterbacks are going to be in the division. I would have said Cardinals are in first place. If you had said John Wolford and Baker Mayfield are playing for the Rams, Geno Smith is playing for the Seattle Seahawks, and Brock Purdy has to be the savior in San Francisco, I would have said that is a good opportunity for the Arizona Cardinals. Even and you know what? Threw, Maybe it still is. Even if I threw in two games from Colt McCoy? Um, yeah, I mean, he played three last year, and they won two of them. That's true. That's a pretty good backup. So in, in an interim-type thing, yeah, I could, I could see that being feasible. But here we are. It's I, not at all the I, scenario I just laid out. I mean, look, this was probably the same argument at the beginning of the year. Matthew Stafford was the one coming off of the Super Bowl win. He's got to work with Sean McVay, but not a lot of people trusted him before then anyway. He's getting older. He's got this big elbow issue going on in the offseason. Is he going to be right, et cetera, et cetera? Trey Lance, he's the big question mark. They might not bring back Jimmy G. They might trade Jimmy G. What the heck are they going to do? Seattle just traded away their all-pro superstar quarterback to the Broncos for a heap haul of picks. They're not going to try. They're not going to win with Geno Smith. Kyler Murray was the best quarterback on the onset before week one. Not even if you were under a rock for 14 weeks. He was the best quarterback option from week one. Yeah. And instead, he's, he's been okay. So one of the, It's not been amazing. One of the fun storylines this week is that Tom Brady's going to be playing against the 49ers, who we all know he grew up idolizing in California. And while... That discussion, and I'm sure Vegas will have odds on how likely it is Tom Brady's the starting quarterback for the 49ers on week one next season. He's like a free agent after this year, right? The one that's more fun to me is you made me aware today of there's a Tom Brady back to the Patriots narrative out there. Yeah. How realistic is so that? So I heard it first from Bill Simmons. If you don't know who Bill Simmons is, he founded a company called The Ringer, which has a lot of stuff that I like to read, listen to, et cetera, et cetera. But also, for those of you that don't know, Bill Simmons is a massive Boston sports fan. So Celtics, Bruins, Red Sox, and Patriots. But Bill Simmons also doesn't just throw stuff out there to throw stuff out there. Not usually. If Bill Simmons puts something out there, he's putting his reputation on the line. So I don't think he would put it out there of a potential reunion for Brady to New England if he actually me- if he didn't mean it, right? That wasn't what I took away from his conversation, though. What I took away from his conversation was actually a question brought up by one of the people on the podcast at the time. And he was asking, would he really live with whatever this offensive system is? As you brought up, 
They've got a defensive coordinator calling the offense. It's, it's very, very weird. Matt Patricia is right. calling plays in New England. And I was very awestruck by this comment. Is he going to be cool that Matt Patricia and somebody else, is, what is it, Joe Judds, are, are now calling the plays? Like, isn't, isn't that sort of a disaster a little bit? It's for in his eyes, I wonder. How about offensive coordinator Cliff Klingsbury? <laughs> oh, so we're just throwing people up. Wait, did, you see, did you see Schrager blink when I threw that out? <laughs> Schrager, who who are who kind of are buddies together a little bit? Tom oh. Brady and, and Cliff. Yeah, they went to the Derby one year together. They went yeah, to Baker I'm Baker's just, Bay in Bahamas. They've got stories. I have some great stories with them. They'll probably, I think, would probably figure out an offensive coordinator to make them happy. And I mean, everybody's talking about Cliff getting fired this offseason. <sighs> This is interesting. So I, I I don't love to talk about where is a guy going before he even gets canned. Um, so it, uh, on the one hand, I don't love this. But at the same time, let's talk about the relationship. First of all, Simmons calls him Cliff Klingsbury, which is hilarious Which to me. is very... The alliteration is great. Charlie Casserly-esque of him. Um, but to get down into the, the nuts and bolts of it, yeah, there is a relationship there. Yeah, Tom and, and Cliff are tight. Cliff used to be Tom's backup QB. Right. I what and how big of a relationship booster is that versus they just get along? I don't know. They went to know. the derby together. I know. Only a few years ago. I know. They hang they, they clearly still they get along. They tight. That's the kids say. Here's the question then. Uh how impactful will this Monday night game be against the Patriots where if this scenario were to play out, let's say six months from now or four months from now, whatever. Then will we look back on this Monday night game and say that was Cliff Kingsbury's audition for Bill Belichick? Ooh. Will we look back on it and say what he did in that game was his audition tape? Well, one of two things would have to happen as a result of that. Cliff would have to be fired or Cliff would want to leave. Well, and if yeah. he doesn't get fired, he's I can't imagine he's leaving, leaving being the head coach for That's to be the I mean. offensive coordinator. So one thing has to happen then. And, like, is Cliff really going to get fired after you got a five-year extension that is, as Gambo said, fully guaranteed? The one thing I will say is, uh, no, this was under Tom Brady, granted, but Josh McDaniels stayed in that role as offensive coordinator in New England longer than most people thought he would. Remember, he got the he got he the pr- indie he, job and then turned it down too stayed. late. He probably should have stayed. He probably should have, but at the same time, like, that's a job that people desire. Oh, yeah. Being the offensive coordinator. Guru under a guy who's a defensive guru. It's an interesting thing to think about. Interesting thing to play out on Monday, won't it? Coming up next, the Arizona Diamondbacks have made a complete shift in philosophy this offseason. It's just probably not the shift you were hoping for. It's coming up next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch Varelvis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. That's us, Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Trevor Henry behind the glass, keeping us company. This is the first show that we've had all, well, it's been a very short month of December, but it's also been the first show we've had in like a literal month and a half. Uh, well, I mean, if ASU would just stop playing early games. Yeah, that was you know part of I mean? the problem. Although, it was a benefit to me because... Jeff those, Munn taking all our airtime. For, for those that don't know, I was filling in for <laughs> Jeff Munn on three of those final games. You did a so, great job, by the it, way. Thank you. So it was nice not having to I mean, double that's what dip I heard. On. I didn't... <laughs> <Just kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> and then you were out last week. <laughs> uh, Cody and I were here. We talked a lot. Of, we had some wild stuff last week. Trevor can attest to this. So we were watching the Big Ten... No, no, the Big 12 title game was on. 
TCU, TCU and Kansas, and Kansas State. State. And TCU was losing basically the whole game. And they end up losing in the end, too, right. in a bit more dramatic fashion. In overtime. But, I mean, we were sitting here literally wondering the whole time, is TCU and USC going to lose their title games and then drop out of the college football playoff? I mean, that was a dramatic storyline last Saturday. Yeah. And then, obviously, one of the two dropped out. TCU, for some reason, stays Although, and I think Trevor would agree with me on this, the week prior to that, when you weren't here and Zach Larson was filling in, it was far more dramatic because that was the day that Michigan played Ohio State. Yeah. And I was really looking forward to the banter between you two. Yeah, not a good week for me. As a, it was a good day. I kind of no. wish you was here for that. <laughs> I disagree. <laughs> I don't think we would have gotten along that day. I think we could have got along great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, would, you would think that. You, could, you can tell who won in the end of that one. We'll see you in the championship game, Trev. That's, right. honestly, that's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping for that rematch in the championship game. How, how cool would that be? It would be awesome. It would be right. better if we went. You tease this as the Diamondbacks are doing something a little bit different as they approach free agency. You and I are big baseball guys, so obviously we're excited about this conversation. So where are you going with this one? Yeah, so I, I think the philosophy shift that most fans would love to see is, oh, Ken Kendrick's going to open up the checkbook and we're going to spend a ton of money and we're going to spend like we're a top five market in the United States like we are. I think anybody would want that. That's not happening. Oh, I'm here to tell you, I mean, Gambo's been telling us for weeks, you know, that yeah. the goal is the Diamondbacks will spend about 20 to 25 million more than last season. I believe that their commitments for next season are already up 10 million from last year. So you've got maybe 10 to 15 million to work with right now. Here's the f- philosophy shift that I've noticed. They went out and signed Miguel Castro, a relief pitcher who ERA last year with the Yankees around four, whip around 1.45. But his velocity? But his velocity is very good. Mm-hmm. He throws heat. He's got stuff, which is something that the Diamondbacks desperately missed last year. They didn't really have that in any of their pitchers until Dre Jameson. Definitely not their starters, no. Uh, Additionally, Carlos Vargas is a reliever that they picked up, I believe, from Cleveland. Same sort of story, right? The numbers aren't going to inspire you, but he throws hard. Then today, this story comes out. It's in all Japanese, so I have no idea what it says. (laughs) Are you sure? (laughs) You want to give it a best translation? Yeah, I'll I'll do what I can. (laughs) Um, I'm reading this from uh, MLB Trade Rumors, where they kind of ran down what it says, but basically says the Diamondbacks are showing interest in a Japanese pitcher named Shintaro Fujinami. Now, I don't know a lot about him specifically, but from what I've read... He's the kind of guy who has potentially triple-digit heat. He throws hard, but the downside is not a lot of control. So the philosophy shift here is that they are seeing a severe lack of stuff in the bullpen, probably in the rotation as well, because you look at Zach Gallon's not a stuff guy. He's got great movement, but he doesn't have heat. Merrill Kelly is certainly a control pitcher. Madison Bumgarner can barely touch 92 anymore. Uh... Zach Davies is far from a flamethrower. So they're adding a lot of stuff to their bullpen, and they're hoping that pitching coach Brent Strom can take the raw talent of these really uh, young and athletic pitchers and turn them into good relievers. It'll exist to counteract what is a, you know, it's a it's a very good top end of the rotation, but they don't throw hard, to your point, right? It's, I guess... I try to. I would. I would try to compare it to. Remember that Braves team that had John Smoltz, Greg Maddox, and Tom Glavin. Yeah, for like half a decade. John Smoltz threw hard at like his heyday, but it, none of them really were the masters known for like their velocity. 
They were known for their location, their precise ability to throw pitches, right? That's kind of what you get with Zach Gallon. It's kind of what you get with Merrill Kelly. That's kind of what you're seeing nowadays, or at least what he's trying to do nowadays with Madison Bumgarner. And how do you offset that with really, really fast, hard-throwing pitchers in the bullpen? And I think that's a good strategy to have. Yeah, you just want to have somebody that you can bring in late in the game and, and trust him to get a strikeout. I mean, the way the bullpen was constructed last year, Joe Mantiply was the only Diamondbacks all-star. And he threw like 90. Yeah, you could argue whether he deserved to be an all-star or not. I, I argued at the time here on our show that he should have been. Um, but he's a middle relief guy. Their closer was Mark Melanson, who at his age at 39 and really throughout his career has never really been a stuff guy. You had Ian Kennedy, who came back in a Diamondbacks uniform last year. Used to throw hard, but now not so much. Certainly not at this point in his career. You didn't really have anybody with great stuff in the bullpen. Now, does this mean that even if they do bring in Fujinami and you've got Vargas, you've got Castro, that all of a sudden those guys are going to light the world on fire and they're yes. going to be shut down relievers? I'm <laughs> exaggerating, no. I think that we would all love that. But realistically, you're still bringing in three guys who have raw potential that you're looking to mold. And you're trusting Brent Strom, a brilliant pitching coach, or at least in my estimation, he's really, really good. No, I agree with you. And you're hoping that he can turn them into something very, very useful. Well, I mean, so the bullpen is the obvious fix, and it looks like the method they're going about it is velocity. There's still other areas that the Diamondbacks need to improve upon. I, I think the offense still needs a little bit of help. Certainly. Like, I think it's a fair assumption to say that, like, the, while the offense had their moments, particularly for the final two months of the season, they weren't perfect. No. There were plenty of times that they kind of got sucker punched by really, really good pitching. So there's a couple things at play there, right? So we heard the rumors that they were at least intrigued by the idea of Xander Bogertz. It didn't work out financially. It was never going to because he ended up making an 11-year contract for $280 million. That's about 25 a year. They were never going to give all of their budget to one guy. That wouldn't have worked out. Um, but just the idea that they're looking at options at shortstop is at least intriguing because you have one more year of Nick Ahmed, I believe, on his deal for $10 million. And then you've got Jordan Lawler, a super prospect, sitting in double-A who could be up by the end of the year. So how do you bridge that gap? Well, like that seems to be the philosophy, right? As you assume that Lawler is ready to go maybe as soon as August or September, and you don't have to worry about like investing in a big money contract shortstop. Although this would be the offseason to do it, and there's... If I'm not mistaken, there's one still out there in Carlos Correa, although... Dansby Swanson's still out Dan, there, too. That was the other one. Thank you. There's two really, really good ones out there if you want to have somebody to help mold Lawler when he gets up here. But they're both probably going to make at least... A, I mean, Carlos Correa could make $300 million, like Trey Turner did and like some others have. But I think that Dansby Swanson might be the cheaper option. He's still going to cost you probably $200 million. Or right around there. And that's not an option for the Diamondbacks right now. I don't think. Even the irony of him being a former number one overall pick for the Diamondbacks. A reunion would be kind of cool to see. But I just don't see the fit. Especially when you still have to figure out your rotation. You still have to figure out. uh, They're interested in at least the possibility of trading for Sean Murphy. One of the best catchers in baseball. That to me tells me that they're looking at catching options. He didn't hit great last year though. And that's kind of where you want to improve. Because Sean Murphy's not the best defensive catcher. I mean, you're better off with Carson Kelly as a defensive catcher option. I think he's a top five catcher, Sean Murphy. 
Easily. I'd probably put him in the top three, to be honest with you, because the although, catcher position is very cyclical. The it catcher position is also very thin at the top. Very thin. Like, but that's why you got to get a good one. That's true. And he's got some control left. The Diamondbacks are also reportedly uh, not shopping, They're but looking at, around. Op- looking at options for moving one of their left-handed hitting outfielders. You've got four of them. You've got Alec Thomas, Jake McCarthy, Dalton Varsho, and Corbin Carroll. And if you want to ask my opinion, which it's our show, why not? Corbin Carroll's not going anywhere. He's a top prospect in the no. game like baseball. Gambo's confirmed that, too. Dalton Varsho, I wouldn't move uh, because he's the only established hitter of the four, mm-hmm. and I think getting better. And he was nominated for a gold glove at two different positions, by the way. Yeah. And then uh, I think that it's between McCarthy and Alec Thomas, and you can make an argument either way, but I think you see who you can get for either one of them. And if you can get an all-star caliber starting pitcher, maybe you move one of them because you have a surplus. That's an option for them right now. I also saw that there's definitely some rumblings around a veteran third baseman right-handed power hitter. Yeah. Would you be interested in an Evan Longoria or a Justin Turner? So they've been linked to both. Um, Turner is interesting to me because I, I like him a lot. I love the leadership. He clearly has had his moments. Uh, the hitting's on the way down, and he's not the best defender at third base. Like, there's a lot of... It's true. Plus, he was a Dodger. Like, do you really I want know. that? I know. You really want that? that? And there was the that, whole thing at the end of the World Series in 2020 when he came out on the field, even though he had COVID. That and, whole pool pissing thing. Like, well, there was I that. I don't want to deal with that. Um, Longoria, older, even more so. And, like, he wouldn't play every day. I also do think Justin Turner will go back to the L.A. And I believe that mostly because they lose Trey Turner. Um, so are you really willing to lose the entire left side of your infield? I, I kind of doubt there, that. Yeah. I kind of doubt they're willing to do that, so I think he's going to be less available. So really the question is, Evan Longoria? Yeah, it makes sense. He could be a guy who uh, is a right-handed bat, corner infielder, plays some third, maybe maybe spells Christian Walker at first a little bit. I don't know. Um, I think he's an intriguing player, and he's going to be the right price for the Diamondbacks. Coming up next, a lot of big games in the NFL this weekend. We'll go around them in our version. That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Mitch and Steve go around the NFL on Arizona Sports Saturday. Before we do that, just want to throw this out there. Two things, two big injury updates to let you know about. Okay. Uh, From Monty Williams. I know him. Devin Booker, left hamstring tightness day to day. Sounds about right. So he probably won't play tomorrow then, which would be... He might. Not good, but... Might play less. Day to day. That's as much as we know. And then this from our own Tyler Drake, who we'll speak with later in the show, uh, from the Cardinals, from Cliff Kingsbury, wide receiver Rondale Moore, and quarterback Byron Murphy, out. On Monday. Not good. Not good. I believe you meant to say Cliff Kingsbury, but... Clingsbury. Clingsbury, as Clingsbury. Bill Simmons calls him. Yeah, uh, not good. Okay. Not good at all. We'll deal with it. We'll deal with it as best Injuries we can. Injuries happen. You got to move on. But in the meantime, we got to go around the NFL, Let's and we're going to do, do that right now. Of course, Thursday night was kind of weird, right? So Baker Mayfield is the quarterback for two days. He didn't start, mind you. John no. Wolford started, but he didn't throw a single pass. And then Baker Mayfield came in, 22 of 35, 230 yards, and then the game-winning touchdown pass on a 98-yard drive. 
Listen, he didn't start the game, but he sure finished it. Baker Mayfield. Uh, so Baker's back, right? That dude straight up headbutts people who are wearing helmets. Without his helmet. That's wild. <laughs> I've never seen the literal, iteration, literal iteration of a Ram. He does not care for his own health. No, he really doesn't. He should get like progressive or something. All right, taking a look at the NFL slate. Starting in the morning at Orchard Park, New York. The New York Jets taking on the Buffalo Bills. Will the real Mike White please stand up? Uh, I think he has. This is the guy who threw three touchdowns against the Bears, but then had a 23 QBR the following week against the Vikings. Whereas Josh Allen has three straight wins, but uh, has been pretty much average for the last six weeks. A lot of red zone interceptions from I'd say this game is kind of a toss-up if Mike White plays the way that he did the first game. Well, who won the last time between these two? The New York Jets. Granted, it was with Zach Wilson, and it was a bunch of BS, if you ask me. But... I, I, man, I don't know. I think Stefan Diggs is going to have a heyday, though. I think he's feeling it, you know. Just a guess. Just a guess. That's what we do here. How about another interdivisional matchup? This time in the AFC North. Cleveland Browns, Cincinnati Bengals in Cincinnati. The battle for Ohio. The first game is the battle for New York. This one's a battle for Ohio. After a very unceremonious return for Deshaun Watson. Very. Uh, for need, multiple reasons. Does he need more time to figure things out? I think that's the question. He even admitted that after facing his former team, it was just a lot for him to deal with. But now it's time for him to buckle down and see if he can revive this Brown season. So last week, Joe Burrow gets the big win over Patrick Mahomes. He's 3-0 against Mahomes and the Chiefs. He has never beaten Cleveland as a member of the Bengals. Interesting. Very interesting. And it should set up for a nice day for the Browns, and particularly Nick Chubb, because Nick Chubb is just an animal. All right, so let's see. We had a battle for New York. We had a battle for Ohio. How about a battle for Texas? Houston Texans and the Dallas Cowboys at Jerry World. Yeah, the Texans are definitely the worst team in the NFL. I think they're one in, what, 11 they or whatever They are definitely the worst team in the NFL. Not the team that I root for, that's for sure. <laughs> right, and it's not really particularly close. They are the worst. I can already see them drafting, like, C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young at the top pick in the draft. Dallas should steamroll them, uh, and I love that running back tandem of Pollard and Elliott, and Elliott has said all the right things about being in a tandem Basically now instead of being the lead back. back. in the rotation, if you will. This, this just feeds Dallas's defense, doesn't it? Houston's offense is anemic. Yes. They've gone through two quarterbacks this year, and neither one of them are good. Yeah, this is a Dallas defense game, for those of you checking in fantasy. Another divisional matchup here in the NFC North. Minnesota Vikings and the favored Detroit Lions in Michigan. Yeah, that's interesting. TJ Hawkinson faces the team that traded him away within the division midseason. So TJ Hawkinson revenge game? Revenge game? Revenge game? Or Detroit Lions revenge game, if you want to put it that way. He's the one who's been bad-mouthing them when they lead the league in 30-point scoring performances. The Lions do. The Lions score a lot. They put up, what was it? What was it? Like 40 against the Jaguars last week? They're putting up 30 against some of the better teams in the NFL. This Lions offense is very good. It's this Lions defense, not very good. Not very good. Definitely the most underrated offense in the league. 
I tell you what, though. Amon Ross St. Brown has been a treasure in fantasy football this year. If you have him, he's going to have a great day on Sunday. Another divisional map. Man, there's a lot of divisional matchups. I'm just realizing this. Jacksonville Jaguars on the road in Tennessee taking on the Titans. Yeah, Tennessee just fired their GM, John Robinson. Very weird. Very weird. Despite the fact that he made the playoffs the last three years, uh, he's being in first place right now. I mean, it's a weird time to fire your GM. It's also a cruddy division. Yeah. So maybe you look at it as we're a 7-5 and five team in a cruddy division. Why? I mean, in theory, this, this team could go on to win the Super Bowl this year. It could. And have fired their GM mid-year. Maybe for... I'm not saying it's likely. I'm just saying Maybe they possible. fired him for a reason, and that's why they win the Super Bowl. I don't know. I guess. Look, Trevor Lawrence is questionable, and Jacksonville's offense is a little sporadic right now. So if you're going to take anybody, Tennessee, they don't have Trelon Burks. That's a real bummer. So this might be the Derrick Henry game. Even though this Jacksonville defense has shown flashes, they got beat up by the Lions last week in a ground and pound game. So Derrick Henry is going to shine in this one. Again, divisional. This one actually pretty significant too. The best in the NFC, Philadelphia Eagles in uh, East Rutherford, New Jersey, taking on the Giants. Yeah, and Brian Dayball is actually a mentor to Nick Sirianni. He gave him his first job as a position coach in Kansas City. So the Eagles, though, are consistently the best team in the NFL, like you mentioned. So has the mentee become the master? I don't know. The Giants have figured out how to play football with, like, you know, ragdoll players. That was a very bad analogy. Isn't Barkley out this week? He's got a neck injury, and he's questionable. Okay. It's very weird. And the wide receiver room's not been great. I think this is a Miles Sanders run-all-over-you game. Even though this Giants defense has held strong, I think that Philly is going to go back to their rushing attack that has been so successful for them all season. Again, divisional, AFC North, Baltimore Ravens against the Pittsburgh Steelers, who are actually not as bad as of late. The big question for me is, can the Ravens keep winning without Lamar Jackson? They're going to have to this Sunday. He hasn't been amazing, granted, but you got to have him. I mean, this is a team that, that lives or dies off of his athleticism. And I like his backup, by the way. I like Huntley, but at the same time, Lamar Jackson is a game changer. Uh, they're going to miss not having him out there. But they do get J.K. Dobbins back off of IR. Is that going to help their rushing attack? I don't know. I like the Steelers' defense because the Ravens' offense has just been in shambles the last few weeks, even with Lamar. So I like the Steelers' defense, and I like George Pickens to have a bounce back after he was angry he didn't get targeted in the previous game. This one I'm glad, and I mean like very glad, it got flexed out of what would have been Sunday Night Football because nobody wants to see this team right now. I'm, of course, talking about the Kansas City Chiefs. No, I'm kidding. The Kansas City Chiefs and the Denver Broncos in Denver. The Texans may be the worst team in the league, but the Broncos are without a doubt the biggest dumpster fire in the NFL. Uh, Less than a year into Russell Wilson's contract, I think a lot of the fans are already looking to move on from him. Yes, I am. bizarre. The coach, move on from him. Pretty much everything about the team, move on from them. I can tell you right now, it's probably going to be the coach and not the GM or the QB. And they're going to figure out who the right coach is going to be. I think you're probably right about that. The Chiefs will win, by the way. They'll they'll win. Are they going (laughs) to win? Like, the line is minus nine. Are they going to win by two scores? Denver has held every opponent outside the Raiders to within a score this year. Like, that's impeccable defensively, but it's the Chiefs. Like, 
I don't know, the Chiefs beat the crud out of the 49ers, and the 49ers might have the best defense this year. So this might be another Patrick Mahomes does Patrick Mahomes things, and, you know, Denver continues to squander. This is a really interesting game in the afternoon window. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you mentioned it earlier, Tampa Bay Buccaneers on the road in San Francisco taking on the 49ers. Tom Brady against the team that he grew up loving. And Arizona local product Brock Purdy is holding the reins currently in San Francisco. Boy. Uh, a bad year for Tampa means that there's going to be rumors that Tom Brady will be the starting quarterback for the Niners next season. Just wait. If they're not already out there, they will be. This won't be a good game for the Bucks. This will be another good game by San Francisco's D. It's also going to be another opportunity for Christian McCaffrey to prove why the Niners traded for him and somehow got away with not trading away a first-round pick. That that still amazes me. Two more in the afternoon and evening on Sunday. Carolina Panthers on the road in Seattle taking on the Seahawks. Here's a name for you. Travis Homer. Running back. He's going to be filling in for an injured Kenneth Walker. Seattle, if they win this game, which I think they will, they could potentially be tied for first place in the NFC West by the end of the weekend. That's wild. I'm just exasperated. Is that the word? I don't know. Seattle's been incredible this year. Carolina might not have Deontay Foreman, who's been their best running back since they traded away Christian McCaffrey. And is Sam Darnold actually going to play well again? He likes throwing to DJ Moore. So if you have DJ Moore and you need that playoff flex, I like DJ Moore this week against a very rough Seattle defense. The nightcap, Miami Dolphins on the road against the L.A. Chargers. Tua versus Herbert. They were back-to-back first-round picks in 2020, but neither of them have accomplished what Joe Burrow and Jalen Hurts have, which is make the playoffs. Two high-powered offenses, two very different but equally solid quarterbacks. Is this the Eckler game? Is this the Jalen Waddle return to form game? One of those two. It's got to be one of those two. Chargers offense has been very minimal this year. Maybe for the better, maybe for the worst. I don't know. But Justin Herbert has not proven what Justin Herbert is able to do in his time this year. Last one. It's the home team, New England Patriots, Arizona Cardinals on Uh, Monday. Cliff Kingsbury versus his old ball coach, Bill Belichick. Uh, Ball coach. The Patriots may not be anything to write home about this season, and I don't think that they are, but Belichick can coach circles around Cliff Kingsbury, and I expect that that might happen on Monday night. If it's a tight game, don't be surprised if the winner is the team with the better coach, and we all know who that is. Clock management, third down calls, putting points on the board early. Cliff has his work cut out for him. Cardinals against the tight end. It never fares well. I like Hunter Henry in this one if you need a last-minute tight end fill. No Falcons, no Bears, no Packers, no Colts, no Saints, no Commanders this week. A lot of bye teams in Week 14. That's around the NFL when we come back. Hey, Phoenix Suns, you good? We'll try to answer that next on Arizona Sports Saturday.